0: Everybody and welcome to another edition of Entrepreneur RX, where we help healthcare professionals own their future. Hey, everybody! Welcome back. Welcome to another edition of Entrepreneurs RX. Today, I'm really thrilled to have a close friend of mine and the CEO of MeMD, a gentleman named Bill Goodwin, who I had the great fortune of meeting about five years ago, and was. Uh, what made one of my rare smart moves and hired him to be the CEO of meMD uh, thereby replacing myself uh, bill with that introduction bill welcome well you know what
1: thanks John yeah five years ago it's it's flown by, but it's a pleasure to be here and and uh yeah it's been it's been a fun ride uh, over the last few years and and more to come but uh, great to be here.
0: Thank you. Okay, Now you've had a really you know, kind of a storied entrepreneurial background. Can you I mean give people a little taste of your background? You're not a physician, so you're a little bit rare for this little this podcast, however you have so much to offer, so I thought you'd be perfect for it.
1: Yeah, so my yeah, some some would call my background a little bit eclectic, but there is a there is a recurring theme throughout and one of those is that I have typically for probably a little over 20 years gone into businesses that were you know, somewhere between 10 to 500 employees and scaled them. And a lot of times these are businesses that were started by a founder and either just not growing at the rate that they want to do or declining. And there's really some, I don't want to say common sense, but there's certain things that you can do to really transform your business. So think of somebody like me as, as the person you bring in when you're ready to take the business to, to the next level. I've certainly made my share of mistakes and continue to make them and not all of them have been successful, but there are some key things that I've learned throughout that that really help your business improve at a much higher rate than, than what you could do probably on your own.
0: All right, well, that's perfect segue, but let, let's back up a little bit. Give us a little bit about back background for you so people have context about how you ended up where you did.
1: Yeah, so basically the last several years, I've been, as you mentioned, uh, running uh, MMD as the CEO. Prior to that, I was the CEO of a healthcare analytic company, so we basically sold software and data to health systems that helped them look at physician leakage and overall market analysis. And prior to that, I've been brought into e-commerce companies, into transportation, into industrial, and even into just straight out technology resale companies. In all of those, The businesses, I would say, have been at a different point in their life cycle. So you had to bring kind of a different set of tools to what you need to do. But through that, I've gained a a fair degree of experience in just different cultures, different places where where companies are, different types of people. And so I think it's really kind of helped later in my career, as we looked at most recently with M&D and even the healthcare analytic company on how to drive their growth.
0: Have you seen that a certain company culture inhibits growth or a certain company culture on the positive side really promotes growth? And if so, what have you done to try to change a culture? Because my background is mostly starting companies. So I get to build a culture from the base. I can't imagine how hard it is to come in to a company where the culture is already formed and you either say, great, good, good building blocks or holy cow, we've got a lot of work to do.
1: Yeah, it's it's good. And really the the right culture has to match what what you're trying to do. not you know, There isn't just one universal culture that works for every type of organization. So you and I both share a passion for culture. We, we know that. And what I've noticed coming into companies is typically there are a few things off with the culture. It, it isn't usually a people problem. In fact, often it's not even the people at all It's how the people operate together. It's the norms that have been established. It's the values. If there are values that are shared by the group, are they there? And then there's just common practices that can be put into place. So typically, I think there's, you can have a toxic culture and that usually is driven by one, two, or three people that poison the whole culture. And you can have an exceptional culture that is all positive and everybody's great, but no work's getting done. So when I think of culture, I think of something, what is the best thing that brings together the people, the process, and the product to make sure that you're able to execute going forward? So one more note on that. When you think of then trying to change a culture, you have to think, well, what are the common denominators that are most critical to change? If it's people, you have to do that relatively quickly. Usually it isn't, but then you really have to set the norms and behaviors that you expect from that culture and then reinforce it. That's typically the best way to address a culture. And I'll say, John, it is usually the number one problem that any organization faces, and they don't even know it, That that's the thing that's constraining their, their growth.
0: Yeah, I've, I've been, over the years, become incredibly sensitive to the cultural norms that we start with and hope to build off of. Have you had to go into an Uber-esque Travis Kalanick sort of culture to try to repair it? And if you did, how did you do it? Because like that culture, when you know you read about it, seemed like it was toxic from the top down.
1: Yeah, I don't know if I've ever had one quite that bad, but I have had ones where they were, they were very toxic from the standpoint of, I'll now go back to these norms. The norm of certain behaviors are okay. The backstabbing, the climbing the corporate ladder, the... Let's do everything at all costs to please my boss, run over people. That's kind of that type of culture. And that that requires a very significant change in how you get people to then get those people out and address the culture. You have to do it relatively quickly. I wrote an article a long time ago called Culture Vultures. And, And Culture Vulture is what I define as high performers who don't live your values. And a company like Uber had a lot of high performers I don't think Uber even had the values necessarily. But if you have the values and they're not being lived, they have high performers, they still have to go.
0: I, I do that as I call that the top left quadrant. So high performing people don't fit the culture. You're right. I give them one chance and they've got to go. <laughs> Compared to the people who are phenomenal, they fit the culture perfectly, but they're not performing. And then you coach them up, love the hell out of them and, and you know, put your arm around them metaphorically and, and support them. And if they can get there, great. And if they can't get there, maybe on the wrong seat of the bus, or they're just not, it's not the right, not the right bus, but you're right. Yeah. You, what you're
1: leading into is something that I think everyone should read about It's called self-determination theory. And if you don't know what that is, is a lot of times people, there's a book written a few years back called the passion paradox. And they talked about the importance of self-determination theory and it, I didn't really realize this, but, but it kind of makes sense, right? If you want people to be able to sustain passion for their, for their job, you have to have three elements working well for that person. They have to feel competent enough to do the job. So as to your example, to that person, are we helping raise their competency to do their job? If they feel like they're not in the right spot, well, how do we help them get the training that they need? The second, have to have the autonomy to do it. Now, one thing we make a mistake of, especially as entrepreneurs, is not giving, or maybe even giving too much, but in this case, not giving too, enough autonomy to people because we want it our way. It's our vision. We want it our way. We don't give them the autonomy. That also can negatively impact your culture and, and their people's ability to do their job. Uh, and the last one, the biggest one is relatedness. And relatedness comes in two forms. Do I relate to the vision of the organization? Do I buy in? Is it something that really is important to me? But it's also your relatedness, to the people that you work with? Do you feel like you're part of part of a team with something special? And those things are critical in any culture to make sure that people perform at the best and, and in turn actually accelerate the growth of your organization.
0: Yeah, I mean that's I mean that's a perfect synopsis of of how all the pieces have how all the pieces interplay together. Dead on. So from my background, I've always been very founder esque, good startup. But as far as the ongoing long-term day-to-day management, that's not my strong suit. And I learned that years ago. How did you morph into that person who comes in and has this operational excellence and the discipline to do that?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's two things, right? I mean, I think when an entrepreneur starts a business, they have a vision. Typically, they have a vision. They see an opportunity in the market. They might have a broad vision of where they see something could go or something could become. And from that vision... You have to work backwards to some of what you need to do operationally. And so when I've gone into organizations, I haven't lost that, even though I have to do a fair amount of the operational piece is you have to give the organization a line behind a vision, a long-term one. And then you can think back to three years, one year, current quarter, what you have to do operationally. The challenge I think a lot of entrepreneurs have is they are either good at one or the other. (laughs) They're either really good at a vision, they just expect people to do it and they got it, or they are so in the details, right? They're losing sight of where they're trying to go. So for, for any entrepreneur, I think they need to identify what are they? I mean, where, where is their strength? And then make sure they have the right people around them. If they can't fit both those buckets well enough, make sure they have the right people around them to fill that gap if they want to do well. So to your question, operationally, I think operationally is something everybody can learn, um, but
0: nonetheless, you must have both the operational discipline and the vision to grow your business. Yeah, I was reading the book, uh, you know, on venture capital, and they talked about that only about twenty to thirty percent of founders make it basically past make it to the exit when VC is involved, because even though they may not realize it others realize that they're not gonna you know, be they're not the ones who can take the company to the next level. And I always say, you know, sometimes the horse you ride in I is not the horse you ride out on. And um, you know, I think I've got pretty good identifying when the time to get to get me off the horse is. But it's hard. I mean, if you know you you, you tie you're so entwined with the company that it's hard to know like, okay, this is growing beyond my capabilities. Uh, when when do I bring in the Bill Goodwins of the world in? and have them take it to that next level. I think it's a hard thing for a lot of people to get their head around. So what's your advice? How do they? You know, first of all, I've been in the situation where a founder has
1: brought me in and they weren't really ready yeah. to to turn over the reins. And, and I get it. It, it, it's their baby. It's something they've been working on. And I've also been in a situation where, and like with you, where you basically said, here you go, I have confidence and you have let me do what I need to do. I think for a founder, I think one of the things they have to think about is hard to do because most founders are working on this. If, if it's a side thing and they're doing their regular practice or their job and then they're spending another 60 hours a week on this, or they're dedicating their life to this, at some point they have to assess, do I really have the skill set? If they if they can't come to that conclusion themselves, because a lot of them can't, then who do you ask? You got to ask people in the organization. You got to ask some of your stakeholders. You got to be honest about it because really, if you want the business, if the most important thing is to get the business to a different point or have it live on for the next generation, you have to start asking those questions at some point. That's one. And number two is, when does it stop becoming interesting or fun to you? That's a great time. Maybe don't wait till it gets to be really not interesting or not fun, but one where you still like it, but you know that, you being in the day-to-day isn't going to help the business to grow.
0: I mean, you've, you you kind of have this background as a fixer. I mean, because I obviously know your background and you come in and you, whether you want to call it this or not, you fix companies that have hit their inflection point. What advice, so you must have, you kind of have seen it all then. So what advice do you have for entrepreneurs on the things, the mistakes you've seen entrepreneurs make as they're getting to the point where they need a fixer to come in.
1: Oh, well, I, so it's not just entrepreneurs that have made those mistakes. I've, I've made yeah. those mistakes we too, how, yeah. <laughs> right? One, I think is especially tricky uh, when they're starting or when they're, they're growing is a lot of their hiring decisions may have been based on the wrong criteria. Sometimes they might base it off of cost. And you don't get the right people. Sometimes you don't bring in the right people based off of you don't align them with your values because maybe you haven't defined your values. So I think some of the biggest mistakes are hiring. Did I, do I have the right people in here to do that? And that's one thing that, that typically have to fix. Two is really, do they consciously develop their culture, right? Do they consciously develop the culture the way they wanted? A lot of times they don't do that. Third thing, and there's just a couple more, is I think a lot of times entrepreneurs, when they when they start a business, is it, they don't really look at what the market is for their for their business. And what I mean is, what compet- what competitive threats there are. There's always competition. Do they look at that, right? Do they also look at what marketing they need to do, or do they look at um, um, product first? And, and, and look at that instead of looking at people first. So there's a numerous number of mistakes, John, but ultimately the biggest one that I've noticed is it, it's over and over again. Most companies I've gone into, I have tried very hard not to do the wholesale people change. You know, I've been in organizations where a new leader comes in and they immediately bring in their team. I don't think that's the right approach. I think typically you have good people there mostly and you have to align them behind a vision And then most of those, even if you had support hires, you can save a lot of them. But ultimately, the people that you have in your organization are the number one thing you have to fix if you're going to grow it.
0: Totally true. So would you say out of all the challenges you've seen that most of them are people-related challenges? I mean, not product market fit, not they picked the wrong technology, but they're generally challenges related to the team. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you you don't have a business, right? Without the people. The, the people
1: are your business. Regardless of what your product you have or, or service you have, the people are the most critical link. They determine how good your product is. They determine the value prop. They determine how it's messaged in the market. They determine how you operate and control costs. So if you don't if you don't have the right people in the equation, you could have the greatest idea and the greatest service, and it's not going to go anywhere. It's not going to scale. And as an entrepreneur, you're, if, especially if you, hit, uh, if you hit on something and you're adding people, you're adding quickly and all that, it is really easy to overlook the, the people component. And that can, that can haunt you later on. And therefore, one of the best things you can do is be real mindful of the people you bring in. Do they align with your values? I sound repetitive. Do they align with your values? Are they high performers? And do you treat them
0: well? Right? Yeah. Back to self-determination theory. Yeah, you're right. In, in many respects, it's very straightforward and very easy. I've seen people over the years, and I'm sure I've done this, is hire people that are like you because you like them and they think the same way. And I've right. learned also that that's not who you want, because as Henry Ford said, if you know two people are thinking the same way, you don't need one of them. And, right. and so I've, I've tried to hire people who have a much different set of glasses than I do so they can look at the problem and come up with a more creative solution or different solution than I did but it's hard to get your head around that. What advice do you have on where to find, I mean, really where, where to find talented staff, talented uh, teammates, how would you do it? I mean, you and I found each other, I think, through LinkedIn.
1: <laughs> right, I'm not sure that's necessarily the, 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 the best way to do it. Right. But here's another thing that I think that entrepreneurs in, in general, and all of us don't do well, is we don't continue to meet with people. Some of the some of the ways you find the best people are when you set up coffees with people who are doing interesting things. When you when you go to events, we get so obsessed with our business, we lose sight of just going out and, and meeting with people. And a lot of times, some of the best people I have found are through connections that I have from people that I've met. It isn't through LinkedIn, right? It, it, it isn't through a, a want-ad. It isn't through a recruiter, it's through your network and how do you build a great network you engage in it all the time and not always about business
0: yeah i think in fact i think that's how we met i think you contacted me purely out of just networking healthcare ecosystem and uh and obviously hit it off yep so okay biggest mistake you made biggest mistake you made on me and d how about that one that'll be a good one well so let's take both of those right oh no um
1: so one, one, I'll give you one big mistake. I, I was brought into, I had, a, I had a training company that was acquired by uh, a big computer reseller on the East Coast. I moved my wife to New Jersey. I was running these different sales centers and, uh, for this, at the time, Fortune 1000 tech company. And they were, they were underperforming. They were underperforming significantly. They were a public company. Their competitors, which I had worked with one of their competitors previously, were growing at a much higher rate. And so we had to change it fast. And the biggest mistake I made was coming in with, I've got some of the answers. I know what to do. Let's, let's institute significant change quickly. Build the new foundation right away. Well, I learned pretty hard that organizations organization don't, don't respond that quickly to radical, rapid change. And so I learned coming in the future you got to be a little bit more calculated with the change that you're going to do. You can't, even though there may be pressure, whether it's the pressure from the street or whether it's pressure just in general to to do change, if you do it too aggressively, you will lose good people. You You will cause bigger dip than you need to. So you have to be real smart about change. Not too much. Organizations can't handle too much too fast.
0: Yeah, I think that would be my, you know, as you know, I'm an EM physician and uh, if I can't kill you or cure you in six minutes, I'm bored. And I think I would have a hard time not having this burning platform mentality, particularly in, like you said, you, the organization that you're referring to, it was kind of a burning platform. I mean, you, they didn't bring you in to, to slow walk this. So that's yeah. a tough balancing act. And yeah, no one usually brings you
1: in if things are going really, really well. <laughs> but- they bring you in because they want something different. You know, and at, and at me, MD, you know, I think certainly there, there have been quite a few mistakes like you make within in any role that you take. I think part of my biggest mistake I had to think about was from a scaling of the team standpoint, not pushing that faster, sooner, right? Because we, we had, a, as you know, we had, we had a good base of what we needed to do. And we had some good people. Everybody was stretched. And so while you come in and try and optimize and, and get the team to play at even a better level and launch new service lines, there's just a capacity constraint on the organization. And I wish I had increased the capacity sooner. It would have accelerated our growth
0: even sooner. Well, I mean, we were, we were definitely under-resourced. certainly un- under-resourced money-wise for a lack of raising and under-resourced team-wise because we didn't really have the money to do it. But uh, yeah, you inherited uh, some challenges in that level because we had a great, you know, we had a really pretty good product, but people were stretched. Yeah, uh, certainly. And you didn't come in to your credit and make a ton of changes out of the gate. You came in and pushed appropriately through and, you know, it took a few years to get everybody in the right seat of the bus, but it definitely worked. I mean, as you know, we did very well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there, there were a few things and I know you and I read a lot of the same business books and I hate to keep quoting them. But one of the things that we did, and, and I've been in that situation before, it's it, it's always been, it's been rare where I've been brought into an organization that just had a ton of funding <laughs> to go out it just, it just doesn't exist, right? Every organization is limited, typically on their funding. So what do you have to do? You really have to push the organization to operate at a faster speed. We're in such a competitive market now, and no matter what you're starting, if you're not moving quick, you're in trouble right? So we really push to move our operational speed up. We also push to launch more services more quickly. And I remember a quote from Reid Hoffman, uh, the founder of LinkedIn, you know, if you're not embarrassed by the first iteration of your product, you're too late, which is 30 years after Tom Peters came out with the ready fire aim approach, which is basically the same thing, right? Get it out there, see what happens. So we really pushed to to get products out there, get feedback, and then pivot as needed. And then the third thing was, is what type of culture do we need? We had a decent culture, but how do we how do we take it to an even new level to really help optimize not only what we do as a company, but optimize how this team plays together and make it a better place?
0: Yeah, no, I know. I couldn't have said it better. And you, you, know, you came in firing on all cylinders, and obviously it, it shows. And it was a lot of fun being able to take a step back And, you know, kind of just have a board position and watch how you drove the ship, you know, is one I learned a lot. So thank you for that. But also it was really fun to watch your, uh, watch your baby grow up and, uh, and mature past where I could have taken. And so it was pretty cool. So thank you for that. Well, you are and
1: were, and maybe sometime in the future, kind of the, the dream entrepreneur to work for. You really, you really did turn over the keys, which is helpful. And back to that autonomy thing that we talked about. I think that's critical. Obviously, you, you stay close to the business and make sure it's going the right direction. It's a lot of fun. It's been great working for you and being able to run that business to the next level.
0: Thanks. So, what's what's your future look like? I know Walmart's going to want you for for you know a long time, but what's your future look like? Do you think? I've got well, I'm to- having.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I'm having I'm having fun right now. So when you think about, you know, now we're taking what we did on did at D and now. Now we get to do it on a scale that we never imagined we could do. So the opportunity to take telehealth to a whole new level with Walmart and its ecosystem is pretty exciting. So I'm focused on that. Long term, uh, who knows? But I really do like going into businesses and bumping them up.
0: And it's fun. I enjoy it. You know, it's funny. I Like we joked about this before, like in a million years, I could not have imagined being acquired by Walmart. And I tell everybody this i said first off they were nothing but professional and direct and bright and hardcore during our whole process and i think the last 10 months for us i haven't been let down at all they are hard charging but they want to i mean i'm impressed by them because they want to change the world and they want to change the world the way I want to change it. They want to do right by people and where they, you know, how they find healthcare for them, for their uh, customers and their team members. So it's it's been very impressive to watch more from the outside. But I can't imagine from your vantage point how you went from little old me, MD, to now working for and really leading parts of this, you know, the largest company in the world. It's got to be mind numbing. Yeah, well, it is. I, I
1: mean, like you. If I had to go back three years ago, I didn't think I'd be working for a large public company, or in fact, the largest public company in the US, you know, three short years later. And to your to your point there, you never know when you go through a due diligence process, an acquisition process, what is on the other side, especially when like you and me, we haven't been in a public big public company in quite some time. And, and spot on, it has been, the culture has been better than what I expected. I had crafted in my mind a little bit like big company culture, you know? and I don't even know what that means other than it's not entrepreneurial, small, driven, let's go type of culture. The people are great. They've embraced us. And you're right. They really stand behind, I should say we stand behind, this direction of we really want to change healthcare. Walmart doesn't like to do anything on a small scale. I mean, they're really out there to make an impact. And we have a unique platform now, a stage to really bring telehealth to a much wider audience than we ever could have done just as me and D. And that,
0: that's really exciting. Yeah, it's funny. You know, I had the interview with the CEO and then had the interview with Cheryl, and I walked away, both of them, from both of them going, one, they're rock stars. Two, right. they're going to change the world. And it was impressed upon me very directly, we don't do anything small. And so you better be ready to scale. I'm like, all right, game on. That's right. Little did we know what scale meant in that world.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I think I think in general we'll we'll see great things to come from Walmart in the healthcare space. And with telehealth being a real critical component of how we get care to rural communities, to underserved populations, to people on high deductible plans, where they're getting killed with healthcare costs. So a lot of exciting things to come in the Walmart.
0: Yeah, venture. It's um, it's been really fun to have my small role and but to watch you guys Change the world. It's pretty cool. Where well, Bill, where can people find out more about you? How can they connect? Uh, the best way is they can they can connect on LinkedIn. That's probably the easiest way to do it, which is
1: just Bill Goodwin. Shouldn't be too hard to find on LinkedIn. Sure. Uh, and certainly they can always send me an email if they want at uh, bgoodwin at me mem me And I'll be sure to to give you some of the contact information.
0: Thanks. Of course, I've got it all. We'll put it in the show notes. But thanks, thanks so much. It's really fun to reconnect with you. And uh, you're doing a great job and it's, I could not be prouder of what you and the team have accomplished. So thank you.
1: Pleasure, John. Thank you for having me on and, uh, and look forward to the future,
0: whatever it may bring. Thanks for listening to another great edition of Entrepreneur Rx. To find out how to start a business and help secure your future, go to johnshufeltmd.com. Thanks for listening.